Good morning. It's really good to have you here with us. My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at White Oak. And last week, we uh, jumped into a series called That's a Great Question. And I'm really glad you're here with us. If you're watching us online today, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, that's a great question. Over the, the lifetime of Jesus' ministry, he asked a lot of questions. And um, during this series, we're actually giving um, you an opportunity, those of you who are online, those of you here in person, an opportunity to ask questions as well. If you uh, scan this QR code, you can submit questions that maybe have been on your heart or maybe have been on your mind uh, over a long time or maybe just ones that come up during this series. And what we're going to try to do is once a week um, answer one of those questions through um, our weekly Momentum article. And so when you submit a question, you actually have the opportunity to sign up to receive um, that Momentum article. And if you want to look at our answer to last week's question, one of the ones that we selected and answered, you can go to our website and find that as well. Now, last week, uh, Kevin uh, said that um, children, and we're, talk we're talking about like those in, at four years old or under, ask an average of 390 questions per day. 390 questions per day. And that, now that's a lot of questions. It came out to like, I don't even remember what it was, like one question every two and a half minutes or something like that. It was insane, all right? And, and that's a lot of questions. Now, as we get into our teen years, all right, teenagers tend to ask a lot of questions, but it's less, and they're usually more self-seeking, and they're questions that kind of push the boundaries. But as we get into adulthood, okay, as we get into adulthood, we lose the ability to ask good questions, because we kind of get a little self-conscious. We say, well, what if I ask a question and people think it's stupid? What if I ask a question and I should have already known the answer? Fear and insecurity keeps adults from asking good questions. Instead, we would rather make assertions. We would rather uh, talk about ourselves, right? We would rather, it's easier and it's in our instinct to express something versus ask a question. If you ever spend any time at all on social media, you know this is true, amen? All right, we just, we're terrible at asking questions, but we're really good at saying stuff. Researcher Donna Brighton said this. She said, questions are powerful because they create change. Giving people facts and information is helpful, but questions create transformation, inspire innovation, and result in true change. See, I think this is why Jesus asked a lot of good questions, great questions, in fact, because questions create connection. Questions open the door for opportunities. Questions, great questions, grant an invitation towards something, and, and questions inspire action. Questions inspire action. So when Jesus asks a great question, what is he getting at? And that's what we want to talk about today and in the coming weeks. When Jesus asks a great question, what is it that he's getting at? Well, the first thing I think is Jesus asks questions which cause us to look at our own hearts, all right? That's number one. When Jesus asks a question, he's inviting the hearer, all right, you and me, to, to say, what is inside my own heart? Who am I really? Who are you? Right? What are your motives? What are your assumptions? What's missing inside you? 
Right? That's one reason he's going to ask, it, ask questions is Jesus wants to get inside your heart. <clears throat> the second thing is, is Jesus asks questions to invite you and I to trust him. Okay? And it, it is that simple. He asks great questions that invite you and me to trust him. Because our answers to his questions reveal something about us. They reveal something that has been missing. Something that you and I have tried to fill the void. We've tried to fill it with other things, but at every, at every step, we do find that the things you and I have been trying to fill these voids with, they're, they're unsatisfactory. They're not really doing the trick. And so Jesus invites connection to him, to his father, our father in heaven, which will drive an active response on your part and mind of trust. So Jesus asks great questions because he's inviting you to trust God more deeply. So here's our big idea for today, okay? Jesus offers healing for the hurting. Jesus offers healing for the hurting. Now we're gonna jump in and we're gonna just like camp out and stay in John chapter five today. So if you have a Bible, if you're watching online, if you've got, you've got a Bible app, maybe bring that up on your phone. If you're here with us in person, we have Bibles at the hub for you. So make sure you grab one on the way out. They're free. We just wanna get God's word in your hand, but we're gonna be camping out John chapter five. And here we go. We're gonna start with verse one. Okay. So let me get there. All right. John chapter five, verse one. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now, as you go through, as we go through this narrative, this short interaction here that happens between Jesus and this man, you're gonna notice something profound that the miracle that Jesus just performed in this story is really of secondary importance to what happens in this interaction because something much more profound is going on here and I hope to teach you what that is here today. Now, this man was, says that he was laying beside a pool that was just inside one of the gates entering into the city of Jerusalem, all right? It's actually... Uh, excavation has found that they were actually like twin pools. They were two pools side by side. And the pool's name was Bethsaida, which means house of mercies. Or in this case, the pools would have the title uh, waters of mercy or pool of mercy. All right. That's the name of the pool. So legend claimed that, um, the, and, and sick people and people with, with handicaps and, and paralyzed would come from all over the city for miles around to lay by the edge of the pool because the legend said that once a day, an angel would come from heaven and dip his hand into the pool and stir the water and get it bubbled up. And the legend said, it said that the first person into the water after the angel disturbed the water would be healed of whatever ailed them, okay? So, it would have been, so, so there would have been a frenzy going on when that water started bubbling or, the, or someone saw a stir or a ripple, there would have been a frenzy to get into the water first. It's not unlike when you sense that the end of our service is getting ready to happen, all right? 
Yeah, I can see. I, you can see everything from this vantage point, can't you? Everything. I mean, you're like zipping up your purses. You're pocketing your cell phones. You're like, you're like getting ready to bolt. Like, it's not unlike that. You just bolt for the parking lot. The first one out wins, right? That's what's happening here, okay? That's, what, that's what's going on here. Now, now, the biblical account that John gives us doesn't give any credence to this legend that these waters had any magical, mystical healing power. It was a superstition. So this wasn't anything but really just a cruel contest between lots of sick people, hoping to get to the water first, believing that in some way these waters had medicinal healing powers. So this man is laying on the edge of the pool, and what John tells us is that, he, that Jesus knew instantly that this man had been paralyzed for 38 years. We don't know if that was all of his life or just for 38 years, but it had been a, almost four decades. He wasn't able to walk, so he wasn't able to get into the pool when the water started to stir, right? He wasn't able to get there, at least not fast enough. And what's curious to me in this story is that Jesus seems to approach this pool looking for someone to heal. He goes specifically to the poolside looking for someone to extend his mercies to. I want you to think about this, though. Right? So Jesus makes his way toward this man. This man has no idea who he is. In fact, we, we, we can tell is no one in the vicinity knew at all who Jesus was, didn't recognize him, all right? We're never told that this man ever thanks Jesus for the healing. We're never told that he ever puts his faith in Jesus for this miraculous 38 years of bondage he's been released from. Jesus just simply pursues and offers restoration, healing. No strings attached. Uh, no dis- deserving behaviors that had to be, you, you know, had or recorded before this man could be healed. Jesus just simply heals the man. And then John says he just slips away. He just kind of leaves the pool area. One of the things that I noticed that John is telling you and me is that Jesus pursues sick people. Jesus actually goes out and looks for people who are hurting. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father knows, this is crazy, knows exactly where to find you. He knows where you lay. He knows, he knows where you hide. He knows where you hurt. He knows right where to find you. And he knows just what it takes to touch the part of your spirit that's unwell. That's powerful. And I want you to remember that as you read this story. So it's here that Jesus then approaches this man and he poses what is actually a, a very odd question. And it's odd because it seems so obvious to me, as I'm sure it seems obvious to you. And here's the question Jesus asked him. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, why would you ask a man that has been crippled or paralyzed for nearly four, se- four decades, why would you ask him that? That's like going to the Olive Garden here in Coleraine, which perpetually has an hour and a half wait, even at breakfast, 
and asking the people who are waiting in line, would you like to eat, right? Yes, okay, yes, we would. We would have liked to eat two hours ago, right? This is an obvious question, all right? Don't we all, this is because it seems ridiculous, Jesus, don't we all want to be healed of, don't, you, don't all of us want to be well from the things that hurt us and make us sick? Isn't that obvious? The truth is that's not always the case. See, this is where we have to answer Jesus's question. Well, we have to engage Jesus's question, you and I do, with a question of our own. And that is, what is he asking about my own heart? What is Jesus's question to you? Ask about your own heart. Remember we said earlier, that's kind of one of the things he's doing with his, when he asks questions. What is he asking about your heart? And we have to say, what is Jesus asking about my heart? All right. One of our deepest spiritual struggles, and this is true for all of us, is that we don't know often that we're sick. We don't necessarily always believe that we're sick. Or we're not sure that we really want to get well. Now track with me on this one, okay? We do things all the time. We engage in stuff all the time that we know don't make us well. Sometimes when I'm at the gym, I will hurt my lower back because I'm getting old, all right? And, and I know this now. I have, I've accepted this, that once you hit 40, things hurt, and they just hurt for a long time. So I hurt my lower back sometimes. Now, you would think, the thing is, I have learned, I've done this enough times over the years that I know what it takes to make my lower back well, other than like ibuprofen, all right? I know what it takes. I have to stop going to the gym for a week. I know this. I have to quit going for a whole week. It gets better. And then if I'm not an idiot, I won't hurt it again. But it ritualistically happens. So I know what it takes to get well. Now, now, a wise man would take seven days off from the gym. But guess what I do? No, no, I don't. I don't. I take some ibuprofen, maybe Icy Hot, and I go and do all the same stuff that I did that, I hurt my back, that caused me to hurt my back in the first place. Now, why would I be so stupid? I don't know. All right. <laughs> I don't know. But, but we do this, right? I feel like I can, find, I can take things that mask the pain. I can say it's not that big, that big of a deal. Um, I, can, I can say I know it will stop hurting at some point. It actually hurts a little bit right now from something I did like two weeks ago because I haven't stopped, all right? I don't want to stop. If I'm going to be honest with you, I don't want to quit going to the gym. I like the way it makes me feel, even though it hurts me. I don't want to stop. It's manageable. The pain's manageable, right? At least for now. See, this is true for all of us. Like we are in relationships that are broken and the brokenness persists. And yet you and I keep, try as we might not, maybe to persist in contributing to the brokenness, don't you? We eat things that we know aren't good for us. Because they taste good. We continue into habits and hangups that tear us down or habits that make us feel self-righteous. We put ourselves in situations um, with other people who don't lead us to make wise decisions, but we go back to them. Why? We turn to the things that feel good, that numb the pain, that we 
and joy temporarily because temporarily perhaps they do make us feel good. We are often happy, at least for a while, kind of living in the ignorance of the things that actually hurt us. Why? Because we often know what's bad for us. Not all the time, but often we know what's bad for us. But we still feed the beast that hurts us. So Jesus wants to stimulate your heart in this passage. He wants to stimulate your heart with this question. Do you want to get well? Really? Jesus' question causes this man, as it causes you and I right now, to look at our condition and to do a health assessment are you sick? How are you sick? What hurts? What do you keep going back to? To fill the void. And do you really want to get well? I mean, like in here. Jesus is drawing out of this man and showing him the helplessness and hopelessness of his situation. And I think the guy gets it, sort of, because watch what happens next, okay? Now, I want you to see this man's response, okay? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Now, what I appreciate about this man is that he doesn't lack the desire to get well, okay? He wants to get well. Do you see that? Yeah, you see that, right? He, he wants to get well. He just lacks the means to do it. So, so like some of us, he's depending on other people. He's like, you know what? If someone could just help me, if I had friends, if someone could just help me get down into the water when it stirred, then I could get well. And you do the, but people failed him, didn't they? He didn't have anybody, who do you run to? Like, what do you run to when you say, if I could just heal this thing, I don't know what this thing is, if it's an addiction, if it's a sexual thing, if it's a relational thing, what is it? Is it, is it, is it a status thing? Who is it that you run to in order to, in hopes that they can help, help you get well? Romantic relationship? Kissing up to the boss? trampling on someone else that you work with so that you can get to the top? Is it a friend? Is it a relationship? What is it? Who is it that you and I depend on to help us get well? He doesn't lack the desire. He's looking. He just lacked the means. He couldn't find it. Do you see that? Right? He was hoping to fill the empty space somehow. Right? So here he's also depending on the water. So he's depending on people. He's depending on the water. All right? He wants the water to heal him, but he couldn't get to the water. So he, had, he didn't lack desire, he just lacked the means. I want to get well, I just can't get down to the water. And you've probably been here. You've probably been in this situation, maybe you're there now. If I could just find the right way to live, then maybe God would heal this thing. If I could just find the right set of rules, what am I doing wrong and how can I do it right? 
If I could just fight the right religion, the right moral living, if I could just try harder, then if I could just find that niche, if I could find that, the means of just trying harder, doing the right thing, checking the box, then I'll find healing. But he can't get to the water. He had tried. He had tried things. I want you to understand this. You have to see this in this, in this passage. He had tried things without success. And maybe, maybe you've been here too. I wonder if he even blamed God for his condition. It doesn't say that. It's possible. And then Jesus, Jesus just does the most unlikely thing. He just heals him. Now here's something interesting. I've kind of, I actually kind of referenced it or referred to it a little bit ago, but do you notice that the man never actually asked him to heal him? Did you notice that? Jesus said, do you want to get well? Do you realize what the guy didn't say? Yes, he didn't say yes. He, didn't, he just, he didn't say yes. He didn't ask Jesus to heal him. Instead, Jesus just sought after him. I want to make sure you see this because this is how much your heavenly father loves you. He's crazy about you. Jesus sought him out to heal him as an act of undeserved mercy and grace. You have to see that. I need, you need to see that. Jesus sought him out as an undeserved act, not even asked for, of mercy and grace. to display God's love. Now, Jesus' questions will always challenge you and I to say, what is it about my own heart? What's going on inside of here? What does his question say about my own heart, about my assumptions, about my motivations? But it also prompts us to ask this question of Jesus' question. Can I trust God completely? That's ultimately the question. Can you? Jesus' Jesus questions always challenge your willingness and mine to trust him, okay? To trust him. Will we fall headlong into his mercy and grace and unconditional trust? Will you? So after this man is questioned by the religious authorities about his healing, all right, we read that, so Jesus healed him. He's questioned about the healing. Um, go with me to verse 13, okay? In that same chapter, verse 13, listen to what happens next. The man didn't know who it was that healed him, right? For Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So this is really weird, so let's take a minute here. Give me, give me a couple minutes because it's a little odd and it can be a little confusing as to what's happening here. The man was healed, questioned by the Jewish religious authorities, and then he went directly to the temple. Now, why would he do go directly to the temple? Right? It's the center and it's the heartbeat of the Jewish faith. It was the center of his faith. Whatever made him unable to walk or, or unable to, 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 be, to be healed also kept him from being able to go to the temple for ceremonial sacrifices as sin offerings. He couldn't go. So he's going to the temple to go through the religious duties and the rituals in order to cleanse himself and, and, and find forgiveness. 
And Jesus finds him there. It's an, his illness had not allowed him to be cleansed in the sight of God for more, almost 40 years. So he goes to the temple to, do the, to practice his religious obligations in order to cleanse himself. And Jesus goes, seeks him out, and finds him there. And I want you to see again, over and over again in this story, okay? I just want you to know it, that Jesus, all right, Jesus heals those who are hurting. He, Jesus relentlessly pursues this man. So he heals him at the pool, and then Jesus fights through the crowd in the city and, and goes to the temple to seek him out again. Jesus goes to find him again. He actually goes to the temple intentionally going, he wants this man to be healed. He wants you to trust, and he wants you to know that he's not giving up on you. He's pursuing you. It's also important to note that Jesus isn't suggesting that this man did something earlier in his life that God punished him by making him sick. Now you can read that. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen. You you can read it and say, oh, his sin had caused him to be um, paralyzed or crippled. And, And that is not what this passage is saying. What it is saying is when Jesus says stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, listen, this is what Jesus is saying. There is a tragedy that happened in this man's life for 38 years. And I don't know what it was. But for 38 years, this man suffered a tragic loss of mobility. But what Jesus is saying in that moment is that is nothing compared to losing your soul in hell. And I want to heal your soul from sin. I can heal your body. But guess what, guys? I'm telling you this, church. Listen, this man eventually died of something else, didn't he? Jesus' healing was temporary for this man. But what he really wanted to offer him was something that was eternal. And Jesus said, be careful. Because yeah, I can heal your body. But what you really need, which I don't think he knew, is that you need a savior to heal your soul. So Jesus' questions, and great questions do this, and let me, let me kind of start to wrap up with this, with this all right? Jesus' questions, great questions do this. They, he offers a connectivity between us and God, between this man and God, all right? Jesus' question immediately established what? God cares for you. Do you want to get well? God cares about you. He knows what makes you sick. He knows how sin sick you are and he wants to make you well. And there's a connectivity that Jesus' questions offer always. Here's the second one. This question drives us to consider our destiny and our purpose. So for you to do a health assessment and say, where am I sick? How am I sick? This is the question. What's your purpose? What's your destiny? Jesus' questions will always drive you and I to say, to, to look at what I want versus what I need. Jesus finds him at the temple that day to address what the man needs because from what we can tell, he missed it. His body was restored and he still missed it. Do you see that? So you have to consider the purpose, your purpose. What do you want versus what you need? Jesus' questions also grant an invitation. He comes to the man in the temple that day and he says, God loves you. And I hope what I've just done back at the pool displayed that. But God invites you into something so much better than even what you're experiencing now. Do you want it? 
and great questions, questions that come from the mouth of Jesus, also drive us to a proactive state. They inspire action. You're invited to trust and obey unconditionally. Will you? To see the tragedy of the story of this man's life is that we're never told that this man ever pursued a relationship with Jesus. We're never told. Even in that interaction, we don't, the man didn't ask to be healed. We don't think that he ever thanked Jesus. We have no evidence or proof that he ever put his faith in Jesus or fell to his knees and worshiped Jesus or acknowledged him in any way. Isn't it possible to be grateful for the gift but not receive the giver? Isn't it possible to receive the miracle but not be saved for heaven? See, that's the tragedy of this story. He was healed. But I don't think he got it. Jesus offers healing for the hurting. And the problem is that many of us are waiting at the pool. Many of us are still sitting poolside, waiting for that career, waiting for that relationship, waiting for that, that, that promotion, waiting for the money, wait, waiting for the esteem. We're waiting to be healed and we're just sitting poolside, waiting for the waters to stir so we can hop on it and get it. And the rest of us, some of us are waiting at temple. And some of us are going to the temple. We're following the rules. We're, we're trying to be more re religious. We're trying to try harder. We're trying to do all the right things to find fulfillment and fulfill what's empty. Now in John chapter 14, a few chapters later, Jesus is going to be with his disciples and he's going to be talking to them about preparing a place for them in heaven. And Thomas is going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm confused. Jesus, you're going to have to tell us the way to get there. In other words, Thomas is doing exactly what you and I do. He's saying, show me the method. Show me, show me the people. Show me the pool. Show me the rules. Show me the list. Show me what it is I have to do to get there. And Jesus says, Thomas, you don't get it at all. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You know, Jesus didn't say that I'll show you, follow me. He didn't say to you, follow me and I'll show you the way. Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'll point to the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And he says, you won't find healing. You will not find healing for your soul. You will not find healing for your heart by trying hard enough, by going through the motions, by looking for the self-help, by looking for the processes and procedures and the stuff that you think will make you well. You won't find it by laying by the pool or going to church. You will not find fulfillment there. And if you are, church, listen, you'll be sitting poolside for the rest of your life and you'll be coming in and out of these doors of a, or another religious institution or a religious checklist of stuff and you'll be doing that all of your life and you'll still walk away sick. And I don't want that for you. And neither does your heavenly father. Jesus said, I am your only way to identity and freedom and purpose and life and healing. So I'm gonna ask you this question. Do you want to get well? Next week, we're gonna celebrate baptisms where maybe you just feel just stirred in your spirit or maybe you felt it for a while to surrender to Jesus and, and, and put your faith in him to be baptized in waters, which by the way, the water is not magical. All right, there's no healing properties to the, to the water that we baptize you in. It, there never has been. But the healer who died on the cross, there's power there. And that's what you put your faith in to heal you from your sin sick heart.
And if you, want to, if you want to walk into those waters next week, we'll be down here after the service, be here to pray for you. Um, you come and talk to one of us up here and we'll, and we'll have a conversation about that. Unconditional trust in God comes by trusting God one step at a time. Do you want to get well? Then you have to trust in Jesus because he's the only one who can do it. And as you walk in it and as you ask for it, you'll see that trust growing inside of you regardless of the ailments that come your way. Pray with me. God, you are a God of healing. You are a God of pursuit. You pursue us. God, you are relentless. God, I know that you never give up on us, that you just keep coming. You just keep inviting. You just keep knocking. Father, may you do one thing for us today, Lord. If you'll do anything for us, I ask that you would strip away our pride, strip away our attempts, strip away our self-help manuals, God, strip away our religion, Father, and simply give us you. Father, draw out of us trust Heal the things that hurt us, God. I thank you for forgiving us for our sins. You are our Savior and our King, and I love you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.